keep your Bibles open. Um, we're going to look at a few patterns and things that are happening in this uh, Paul's first missionary, first missionary journey. And uh, I guess one of the patterns that um, I notice about this uh, is that um, it begins and ends uh, with ordinations, uh, which is interesting. If you, if, you, if you have a look at the beginning of, of chapter 13, uh, they were worshipping. And while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And I guess uh, an interesting question, it's fairly obvious, but you can have a moment to think about it. To whom is the Holy Spirit speaking? He's speaking to the whole church, isn't he? Um, how is he speaking? He's speaking through the prophets. Um, uh, there are prophets and teachers at the church in Antioch, and I imagine that several prophets spoke, and that when these words were digested and weighed uh, uh, by the others uh, in condensed form, basically the message was, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. The Holy Spirit is speaking to the church. So it's actually the church's decision. And the church makes the decision. So after they had fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and sent them off. Um, that's really beautiful, isn't it? I mean, this, the ordination of, of leaders for, for a specific calling, not a general calling, but a specific calling, um, it's obviously God's will. It's obviously the Holy Spirit's will. It also becomes the church's will. This is the church's decision. And it's also Saul and Barnabas' will. Um, the Holy Spirit wasn't speaking to them. They already knew this stuff. Uh, we, knew that, we know that Paul knows that that's what Jesus wants him to do because Jesus told him on the road to Damascus right at the start. Um, uh, if you'd like to flip to the far end, we also have ordination services uh, at the conclusion of the passage, chapter 14, um, verse 23, Paul and Barnabas appointed or ordained elders for, each, for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Uh, so again, um, with prayer and fasting, hearing what the Lord had to say about this, uh, it was the Lord's will. It was their will, it was the leader's will, it was the church's will, and they set aside some for a particular task, that of being uh, elder. So that's one pattern. Um, ordination services are kind of bookends to this passage. What other patterns can we discern? Well, um, one pattern is, you may have noticed, is that Saul stops being Saul and thereafter becomes Paul. And in actual fact, the exact moment is uh, uh, in chapter 13, verse 9, then Saul. It was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimus, and thereafter he'll always be known as Paul. And in actual fact, this whole journey starts out as Barnabas and Saul, um, but it ends up Paul and Barnabas. Paul first and Barnabas. So we, we're really seeing, one pattern is really, in one way of putting it, is we're seeing the rise of Paul. Uh, and um, I'm not sure how Barnabas felt about that. I, I think he was probably fairly encouraged because he was a godly man and knew that to go up was to go down and that to go down was to go up. Um, but indeed, he has to suffer the indignity of being written into Luke's book in verse 13 as from Paphos, Paul and his companions. Suddenly it's Paul et al. 
Um, so we're seeing the rise of Paul. And actually, if you're paying attention to the book so far, as we came to Bar-Jesus, Elmius, the magician-sorcerer kind of guy, you might have thought to yourself, hold on, have I heard this story before? And if you're paying attention, as you came to, um, in, 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 I think it was Lystra, there was a, 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 a crippled man, lame from birth who had never walked. You might have thought to yourself, hold on, have I heard this story before? Because in actual fact, both stories are very, very similar, intentionally similar, to two stories which are told about Peter. In Acts chapter 3, Peter heals a lame man, crippled in his feet, born that way, had never walked. And in Acts chapter 8, he has a confrontation with a magician, a wise guy, a magos, um, whose name is Simon. Um, and uh, in both confrontations, Peter's and Paul's, there's, there's, a, there's a, a sharp rebuke. There are words spoken uh, which, which shattered the opposition, but we don't know what the outcome is for that particular person. Why is Luke doing this? Um, well, in actual fact, in chapter 14, um, we hear, and it's in verse 3, that Paul and Barnabas, uh, when they were speaking boldly for the Lord, the Lord, the Lord confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to do signs and wonders. So what Luke is showing us is, yes, these stories are very similar, but actually it's intentional. Um, Paul's ministry is actually just like Peter's ministry. And the reason that Peter's ministry and Paul's ministry are so similar is that actually it's the Lord's ministry. It's Jesus who is doing this. Uh, it's, it's G- and out of all of the stories, Luke says, I could have chosen, I'm going to choose these two so that you can see that it's still the same Jesus working through Peter, working through Paul. Still the same Jesus. This is the book of Acts. The book of the Acts of the Apostles? No, it's the book of the Acts of Jesus through his uh, apostles. So that's a, another pattern. From now on, from, the, from chapter 13 all the way through to the chapter 28, the conclusion of this book, it's actually going to be about what Jesus is doing through Paul in taking the gospel to Gentiles. And how does he do that? Well, he does it because there's this fantastic open door available to them wherever they go. And that open door is the, anyone want to hazard a guess? Where, does they, where do they start? In the synagogue, yeah. Why in the synagogue? Well, uh, one reason is that there are synagogues everywhere. Uh, for centuries, the Jews have been scattered as a result of this persecution or that persecution. So there's a Jewish diaspora across the entire known world. Diaspora is a Greek word that just means scattered. Just like today, we have an Irish diaspora. Uh, a Nepalese diaspora all over the... Uh, a Chinese diaspora all over the world. An Indian diaspora all over the world. Well, there's the Jewish diaspora all over the known world of that time. There's synagogues everywhere. And Paul and Barnabas can go in because, firstly, this is a Jewish message for Jews. This is about the Messiah. It's about how Jesus is the fulfillment of all the hopes and dreams, that even their reason for being, of Israel. This is a message for Jews about a Jewish Messiah. The second reason they, they can do this is because in those days, um, synagogues gathered large numbers of Gentiles. Um, exactly why? Well, we have a few historical records which give hints, but basically... 
um, lots of Gentiles attended on, on Saturdays as well and sat in the back and some of them became converts to Judaism. Um, but it was so different to what they got in their temples. For a start, it was rational. It wasn't based on mythology. It was actually God's saving work in history. Um, uh, another reason was moral. Um, uh, pagan temple worship tended to be immoral in a number of different ways. So it was attractive. So it was this great open door to both Jews and Gentiles. But we see through this passage, the door closes pretty fast, doesn't it? Sometimes they get to a second visit. um, And even before the book of Acts is finished, the door to synagogues is closed. Um, That was a great open door while it lasted. um, But it closed. And kind of makes us think, well, where, where do we find our open doors today? Um, I mean, still, the message is, first and the gospel that brings us all here this morning is first and foremost a message about a Jewish king for Jews. And globally, the Christian church continues to prayerfully consider how we do outreach to Israel and, and the Jews. But if I was, it's never occurred to me in 11 years of ordained ministry, it's never occurred to me to knock on the door of my local synagogue and ask to preach a message. Um, I think they would find that offensive, and it could be several steps backwards for the kingdom of God. That door's closed. What other doors have we explored? Um, Well, um, there's always the soapbox. That's a good way. You grab a soapbox and you take it to the marketplace. This is what Paul and Barnabas did in Lystra. They preached uh, at the city gates, which probably was the marketplace. And still to this day, uh, in my sister's hometown of Norwich, uh, in the marketplace, there are Christians on soapboxes preaching the word. And everybody gives them a really wide berth. Doors closed. It's not culturally appropriate. I mean, in the age of radio, television, and now even more so the internet, clearly if this guy had something important to say, he wouldn't be standing on a box. Um, doors closed. It's cultural, culturally inappropriate. Can God use it? Yeah, certainly. The same with tracks. We've been there, done that, bought the T-shirt. Tracks had their day. Can God use tracks? Certainly He can. But if you go to the Hay Street Mall um, and somebody gives you a piece of paper, you think, "Oh, they're selling something. This guy's selling religion. Oh, this, this guy's selling religion. This guy's selling jewelry. You know, too much." Day for tracks has kind of closed, really. doesn't mean God can't use it. doesn't mean we shouldn't still do it. But we, we need to seek open doors, don't we? Um, uh, 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 the one obvious uh, thing that we explore from time to time is we all ask people to come to church with us. Would you like to come to church? Um, and at a time that might have had currency, but they see us coming, don't they? Um, I can't, I, I'm not really sure that I've ever had any success in inviting people to church. Um, But in the 90s, in the 80s and in the 90s, uh, God opened um, a remarkable door in the United Kingdom. And um, culture had moved on from being invited to church. But what Christians discovered was that if you didn't invite them to church, if you invited them to your house for a nice glass of wine and a meal, and we'll put on this really nice VHS thingy, and Nicky Gumbel's a really nice guy, and... Um, and afterwards you can say whatever you want, um, then, then actually, actually there was this huge open door. And millions and millions of people in England and the United Kingdom and around the world went to Alpha courses, 
hospitality evangelism worked. Um, that was an open door. And I think millions came to faith in Christ in that way. But in the previous decade, uh, for me, working at St. John's Anglican Church, Diamond Creek, uh, briefly, they put me in charge of evangelism. Y- yeah, it's a good joke. It really is. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and you know me. Uh, um, and we decided that I should run a Christianity Explained Hospitality Evangelism course. And that church, you know, we had three centers and about seven different congregations, and we numbered well over 400 people. And we all invited people, and we prayed, and so on and so forth. And, and one person said yes. Great. <laughs> Who didn't actually become a Christian then, although she did years later, I was told by email. Um, but in this massive effort of hospitality evangelism, one person said yes. However, every single week, every single week, I was going down to Diamond Creek Primary School and Diamond Creek East Primary School, and I was talking to a cumulative total of about 90 primary age children in the classroom about Jesus doing CRE, Christian Religious Education, classes, which the principal was happy with which the classroom teachers were happy with and the parents were happy with. Why? Because at that stage, there was this great open door in Australian society whereby adults said, I don't want to hear about Jesus, but I'd like my children to have an opportunity to hear about Jesus. And, and so, you know, week after week after week, you know, I, we, I sang songs, did dances, read from the Bible, prayed, told them all about Jesus and what Christians believe. There's this great open door. But since I've left Diamond Creek and in the last decade, that door's, it's obviously, you know, people have noticed, it's closing. Um, the Victorian government has made moves against CRE in Victoria. SRE in Perth is becoming more and more difficult. They're moving to, to lunchtime clubs. They're moving from opt-out. In other words, if you don't want your child to be there, you know, write a note. That's okay. You might be Baha'i. You might be Jewish. You can take your child out. They're moving from opt-out to opt-in. You need to get your parents a note to say you're allowed to be there. Totally different ballgame. Really, the door is closing. So, so where are the open doors? Where are the open doors for us? Um, well, uh, one church I read about recently in London, it was a Nigerian church. Christians had fled persecution in Nigeria, and they'd resettled in inner-city London. And that was great, because in Nigeria, everybody talks about, about God and about religion, but they discovered that Londoners didn't really want to talk about that. And they could get their soapboxes, but it didn't really work. And they could give her out checks, but nobody was interested. And, you know, that they could see for themselves, English people need to hear about Jesus. That they don't know the gospel. How do we communicate with English people about the gospel? And they prayed and they fasted. And um, uh, what they discovered was, what they realized was that their little church in inner city London was surrounded by nursing homes, residential facilities, Uh, tower blocks of apartments full of really desperately lonely people. And so what they decided was, we will go and be friends with people. And we'll do that authentically, and we'll do that faithfully. And if some of them ask us why we are being friends, and why they've suddenly got all these friends, we'll tell them why. We'll tell them about Jesus. They don't have to ask, but if they do ask, we'll tell them about Jesus. And some of them did ask. And some of them who asked became Christians. Um, so, th- so they discerned an open door. Um, 
um, Henderson Memorial Presbyterian Church just across the lawn from us. I don't know how they did it, but they discerned that a really good open door is free English, uh, English classes to Japanese students, which they put on through the week. And through the week, I direct lost Japanese students. So that's the church you're looking for. Because they look at their iPhones and the street signs. I know what they're doing. Um, and the pastor there is Japanese. And on Sundays, they have Japanese services and English services. Um, uh, and, of course, both of these things show that there's no evangelism without servanthood. Um, but these churches have, with prayer and fasting, discerned where the Holy Spirit was taking them in terms of, um, in terms of, of what they can do together as a church. Um, another pattern, uh, gospel proclamation is divisive, isn't it? It's very divisive. When, when you first become a Christian, you don't see that and you hope it's not true. And, and you've become a Christian and you think, oh, I know, I just have to explain it well. And they'll get it and they'll come to faith in Christ. And you do explain it well and they still don't come to faith in Christ. And you think, oh, I've got to explain it better. And they still don't come to faith in Christ. Um, and in actual fact, when gospel ministry is done properly, there will be large numbers of people who before they weren't quite sure about Jesus, but now they definitely know they want nothing to do with him. Um, that, that's, that's just something that's hard and true. Um, we are agents of separation Jesus is using his church and his people to divide humanity into two camps, those destined for heaven and those destined for hell. That's a really hard reality. Um, uh, the, the plain fact of the matter is that we're all destined for hell, and deservedly so. But God's grace is such that God sovereignly chooses some. And, you know, the hard text in this uh, Passages, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord. And all who were appointed for eternal life believed. Appointed by whom? By God. Um, gospel proclamation reveals whom God has chosen. Um, gospel proclamation, it's divisive. Jesus said, Gee I, wish I, gee, I wish I'd come to bring peace. I'm sorry I haven't come to bring peace. I've, I've come to bring a sword. And from now on, uh, a, a man's enemies will be members of his own household because I've come to put uh, brother against brother, father against son, mother against daughter. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Gospel proclamation is divisive and it leads to opposition and from opposition it can lead to persecution. Um... What can we say about opposition? I'd just like to point out the fact that every time opposition appears in this text, we can explain it psychologically. Um, uh, obviously, Simon the magician, his political standing is under threat. If Sergius Paulos believes the message, he's out of a job. So too, the uh, uh, Jewish synagogue leaders, you know, they're, they're, they've, you know they're, they're, their jobs are on the line if this is believed. Um, uh, there's an obvious psychological reason why gospel proclamation leads to, uh, leads to opposition. Um, but the text shows us that this isn't psychological, it's spiritual. And the power confrontations show us that um, uh, this is, de de this is um, um, uh, demonic. Uh, 
this is, this is satanic. Um, so gospel proclamation leads to uh, opposition and persecution. And as we've noted before, Paul becomes a practiced lever in the face of persecution. Uh, that's the usual thing to do. He always does it unless the Holy Spirit shows him to do something else. So there's some patterns just for us to note as we examine this missionary trip. Sorry, I was going to try and make this a short sermon because we've already listened to two. Um, but uh, any other patterns or things that really jumped out at people or questions of clarification before we move on? No. Well, there we are. The Lord be with you. <laughs>